listening to a download from the outdoorstation.co.uk. Number five, two, eight. Hi folks and welcome back to another podcast here on The Outdoor Station. Sorry they've all been so random and I will explain. But first, how are you all doing out there? I know it's been a while since I released one, which primarily is down to me waiting for the fibre connection to be installed, something I know I've mentioned in the past. A couple of weeks ago, there was a huge excitement here. There was a hive of activity in the road outside, laying the cable, and since then I've been sitting by the phone, waiting for the engineer to call and do the install. Covid has caused the delay, of course, but this waiting is absolutely excruciating. It's like standing at the altar, waiting for the bride to arrive, who may or may not have changed her mind. You see now, the live stream studio, the new purpose-built studio I've talked about well over the last couple of years, is now built, set up and ready to go. I've got 10 guests waiting in the wings, in the green room, with great stories ready to share. I've a new assistant keen to get started and share a hand, and I've been talking with potential sponsors about getting involved. So please keep the faith, dear listener. Once connection is made, I do hope to be sharing as much outdoor love as possible. Now, COVID has changed the plans of many of you, of course, including that of my guest, Kevin Ogello. Now, keep in mind, I recorded this conversation with him at the end of January 2020, just before COVID arrived. Kevin is a documentary filmmaker and owner of NewEarthFilms.com. And he's been making factual films for leading broadcasters for many years, including the BBC, National Geographic, Discovery Channel, to name but a few. It's a pretty diverse portfolio, which includes everything from climbing Mount Everest to child slavery traps in the Congo. Now, as you'll hear on this particular project, he wanted to make a documentary taking a group of relatively unknown strangers on the full length of the Cape Wrath Trail. Now, for people who don't know where that is in the United Kingdom, it's up on the top left-hand corner of Scotland, on the northwest corner. And I can tell you from experience... It's extremely raw, it's extremely isolated, and you really have to know what you're doing when you're going up there. And he wanted to record this documentary and keep the whole thing as real and as fresh as possible. Originally, they planned to start in March 2020. However, of course, that start date continually moved, and they have actually now set off at the beginning of October heading into some pretty challenging weather, if the forecast is anything to be believed. Of course, they have taken advice from the Scottish Mountaineer and Sports Group, and they're following COVID risk assessment measures. On top of which, half the team are from frontline NHS and emergency service workers. So on that score, they're keeping to the rules, staying remote, and of course, staying safe. So I think it's best to let Kevin now continue with the story, starting with his original introduction 
to the Cape Wrath Trail. The Cape Wrath Trail was something that I came across about 15 years ago and it just intrigued me that there's this route with a name called the Cape Wrath and when you think of the word wrath it kind of brings all kinds of imaginations and connotations and I thought wow wouldn't it wouldn't it be amazing to really immerse myself in something called Cape Wrath Trail and that was a dream that started about 15 years ago when I actually organized an expedition to attempt the Cape Wrath Trail and and back then the route was relatively unknown there was a book that I bought called North to the Cape and that was my reference that's all I knew about it there wasn't any online forums Facebook didn't exist then certainly YouTube didn't exist then so it really was this one book that's all I had was this reference this crazy name the Cape Wrath Trail and how did you find the trail itself what what was the weather like what time of year did you do it and and what was your conclusion at the end of it? Were you exhausted or elated? I attempted it in January. I wanted to do it in winter. There's something about doing a trail in winter. Um, for a start, there's no midges, which is always a plus. But I think that when you're experiencing Scotland in winter, you really feel remote. You really feel that you're out there. And it was an extra layer of challenge. And I also love snow. So that was the other reason why I wanted to attempt it in winter just because it just adds that extra layer, that extra challenge that I wanted to experience. Um, but I didn't want to do it alone back then. And I actually, I can't remember how I found some contributors because I found contributors from Canada and the Netherlands and the UK. But remember, this is pre-social media. So there was no way of posting anything. Uh, but somehow I managed to scramble a team of three other guys and we organised ourselves via email and we all appeared at Gatwick Airport, and then we all travelled up to Scotland. We never met before, and uh, we attempted the Cape Wrath Trail. And back then, uh, I wanted to make a documentary film. But, you know, cameras 15 years ago were pretty heavy, pretty clunky, plus the batteries. And it soon became very apparent that uh, there was a reason why this trail is called Wrath, because we experienced the wrath of the trail. It was hard going, um, it was boggy. Uh, the terrain was very, very difficult on foot. And I remember carrying all my film equipment in a very large Autolib waterproof bag at the front of me, which meant that I constantly would tumble and slip over the rocks because I couldn't see my feet, couldn't see where I was going. So that was a real, real challenge back then. And uh, we did eventually reach the end, but my God... Um, I can honestly say that it's the most physically hardest thing that I've ever done. Um, I've worked quite high on Everest. I've worked over 7,000 metres on Everest. And that was actually easier than the Cape Wrath Trail, believe it or not. Because although Everest is very high, it's one big push. And all you're dealing with is really altitude. Whereas the Cape Wrath Trail sucks every bit of energy from you. It's unrelenting. It's day in, day out. It's bog. It's mountain, it's pass. But there has a certain allure. There is something about it. Again, might have something to do with the name, wrath. But there's something about it that wants to bring you back. It's like a calling. Can't quite describe it. I guess if you've done it, you might understand what it is I'm trying to say. Um, and I think that it's just something that you have to revisit. There's something in your system you can't just forget about it. 
I know it's going to be hard, but yeah, I want to do it again. You're a documentary filmmaker, 15 years have now passed, and equipment, thank God, has got smaller and lighter and more efficient. And now you're putting together a team to do the Cape Wrath again, and there are various reasons behind the the concept of doing it, and you're also intending to film it this time as well, I think, which will be of great interest to many people who, like you, aspire to to attempt it in the first place. So let's just uh, look at that for a second. First of all, what's the ethos behind this attempt that you're going to do now with a collective group of people which we'll come on to? It wasn't by default, but somehow the project has evolved into inspiring people to just basically step outside. We all know that being outside and being active is good for physical health. There's no surprise. It burns calories, gets your cardiovascular system going. But, and I think we're becoming more and more aware, that spending time outside in nature, feeling the full force of the wind in your face, does something to the brain, does something for, for your mental health as well as your physical health. And uh, I think many people who now live very sort of insular lives, we're constantly looking at our screens, we're constantly in this kind of forced, stressed environment. And I think if we can reconnect a little bit to the outdoors and, and, and spend more time outside, I think that can return dividends as far as mental health is concerned. It doesn't mean that people are having nervous breakdowns or people are depressed. I just think that it just gives us that time to look at ourselves, reflect, rethink, reconnect, rewire and move on. So so that's what the overall take is. It's not the drive of the film. The drive of the film is an adventure. But I think I just want the viewer to perhaps be slightly inspired to just step outside of their own boundaries. And even if that means the local park, just get out there and use nature as a process of purging whatever demons you may be fighting inside. And what about actually pulling this group together, this group of, well, you've met them all now, but I say relative strangers. Mm -hmm. It all came together, as I understand it, fairly quickly and uh, quite surprised the reaction that you had so fast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've always said that I've had unfinished business with the Cape Raft Trail. Um, Like I said, 15 years ago, I wanted to make a documentary film, but that really didn't work. Um... And I quickly decided that the obvious way that I was going to do this was basically to put something on Facebook. So there's a very good uh, Facebook group called the Cape Wrath Trail Group. And I put a post on that. But as I was writing the post, I soon realized that once I press send, I'm committed because I knew that I would get replies. And I did. I got about 20 serious applicants. Applicants is the wrong word. But I had 20 people interested in it. And uh, I had kind of given my own vetting process. I spoke individually to those people and left it as that. I wasn't going to chase anybody. This is not, you know, this wasn't like it was my job, so to say. I let natural selection determine who would come or not. And that whittled down to about five or six people. And they're exactly the same five or six people that are coming on the trail as is. So no one's dropped out. Uh, those that said they would do, do and are doing unless something happens an injury or illness of course but everyone is totally committed to do it and um 
So now we're going to be doing the Cape Raft Trail again in uh, March of this year, March 2020. And we're going to be a team of six, excluding me. And I understand the majority are women. Yes, that's quite interesting. I think there was a, a probably about 70% of those that did apply were female, um, which is quite interesting. I wasn't expecting that. Um, I wonder why that is. There's no logical explanation. Have you that. asked any questions regarding stepping out of their comfort zones, etc.? No, I haven't asked that directly yet. That's actually the questions that I'm going to be asking during kind of what we call a sit-down interview. Um, so during the next sort of coming weeks, I'm going to be spending time sitting with all the contributors in a home environment and asking them, why are you actually going to do this? What is your motivation? What do you want out of it? I mean, there's one lady that she's coming. She has two small children. So she's going to be taking part in a three-week expedition away from her children, which has normally been a luxury of men to to basically go off, have an adventure, and leave the woman at home. And yet the, the, the tables have turned with her, and uh, she'll be leaving her two small children behind while she goes on this adventure. Um, so it's quite an interesting reason why um, there may be more females. I'm not quite sure. Um, I look forward to the answer to that when the film's complete, really. And obviously you are making a film about this, and it's sort of semi-self-funded, but you've also requested some assistance from sort of a group funding situation, again on Facebook, which I hadn't realised that Facebook offered that facility. And how is that going? Are you reached your target for editing now? Yeah, so originally I'd, I'd pitched the idea across to the traditional TV channels because that's what I do as a producer. But they weren't interested. They don't get it. But let's just stop you there. Why don't you think they get it? Because this happens all the time now. Let's just have a five minutes discussion on that. <laughs> Very good question. I think, first of all, there's two things. Um, I think that budgets with all TV channels are limited. And it's a lot easier to market something and know that you're going to get basically eyeballs if it has all respect to, to people like Ben Fogel. If Ben's in it or Juliet Bradbury's in it, it's a safety net. For TV channels, when you say Joe Bloggs is in it, who lives down the road, it's an unknown entity. Are people going to engage with them? They then start to wanting to get what I call fake celebrities, so people that have been on some kind of talent show or, or Big Brother scenario, where they have their five minutes of fame, uh, and then a TV channel wants to piggyback that fame whilst it lasts. That's not what I wanted. And, and the final thing that they're nervous about is lack of imagination. So a lot of the programs I've worked with in the past, there's this constant desire to add what we call false jeopardy. So that's pre-scripted scenarios that will contrive a sense of danger or risk. Now, if you're a channel and you're putting in loads of money, you want to know that you're going to get these cliffhanger moments that are going to get the audience on their seat. But if you can't guarantee what they are and when they will be, they get very nervous. So they will start requesting that you do a river crossing when 100 metres to the left out of camera is a bridge. Because that will make interesting television. And so when you then pitch an organic adventure that is hard by default with genuine people in a genuine situation, they get nervous. They can't see the end result. They're taking a punt. Um, and they feel that it won't work for their audience. But we all know the success of some vloggers on YouTube 
um, that actually people want that. They, they want the genuine reality. They don't want this fake reality, this sense of fake jeopardy. And, and that's across all of the channels, both traditional broadcast and the new video on demand type channels. They want that safety blanket wrapped around their products. And that's something that I just didn't want to entertain. I suppose in some respects they're, they're still hooked on traditional format for media entertainment that comes under that category that they've done for years. And they, the decision makers, the people with the, the bean counters, are the ones that still have that attitude. They're not prepared to take a risk. But anyway, I digress slightly. I was asking you about the crowdfunding via Facebook. How does that, how's that going? That's very, very good. I mean, I soon decided that I wanted to do more than just the physical Cape Wrath Trail. You don't really need a crowdfund to do the Cape Wrath Trail because, well, for a start, you don't need any money on the Cape Wrath Trail because there's no shops, really. There's no pubs, there's no restaurants, there's no smattering of, of places. But what I wanted to do was actually go one step further. Um, I didn't want this to be a visual guidebook. I didn't want to be, here we are in Fort William, we're getting the ferry across and we start walking. I wanted to go deeper into the stories of those that were the contributors. Now, to do that, you need to invest time and money in in basically seeing them at home, at work and play, interviewing them, uh, following their backstories, as we call it, finding out a little bit about why they want to do it. And then I started to think, well, hang on a minute. All these people live all over the UK and also in Germany. Um, this is going to start costing me money. Um, then I soon realised that there were other people that I might want to interview as well that are somehow connected to the Cape Wrath Trail. I started thinking, oh, hang on a minute, this is going to you know, start clocking up. So then I thought, well, I've done Kickstarters before. I made a film on Carsten's Pyramid in Papua New Guinea where we did that via a Kickstarter. But Kickstarter's hard work. You've got to have all the rewards, you've got to have all the platforms and all the spiel. And then, of course, Kickstarter take 10%. But then, of course... If you don't reach a goal, you don't get a penny. And I'd already set up a Facebook page. Um, and I was just going through the page quite early on, actually. Probably only had about 100 likes at that point. And I noticed a thing called Fundraiser. And within half an hour, I'd set up a fundraising page. I thought, well, this is funny. No one's going to donate. But within 12, 5, 10 minutes, it was £10 and then £20, £30, £40. Well, hang on a minute, this is fun. This is going to work. One lady actually went forward and donated a £1,000, which is an incredible donation uh, to make for a, for a crowdfund. But the good thing about Facebook is they take a minuscule amount of, of, of commission, something like 2%, but every penny that you raise, you get. So even if only someone donated 10 quid, you'd get 10 quid minus 2%. So it's certainly worth the investment for any projects that you may be doing yourself to have a look at it um, and do that. And then, of course, I set up a PayPal because some people don't like donating on, on Facebook. But nonetheless, Facebook has been the primary driver to actually absorb just the hard costs. It's not to make money. It's not to pay salaries, wages or anything like that. It's purely to facilitate basically filming the backstories and things like that. You're listening to The Outdoor Station, the home of UK-based audio and video podcasts for lovers of the great outdoors everywhere. Since 2005, over 10 million people have listened and over 3 million have watched the videos. 
sharing the passion, appreciation and understanding for the outdoors world. We'll put the link in the show notes to that page. So if anybody's listening to this wants to keep topping up your your fund, then that'll be a good thing. Now, the actual route itself, I've done half the Cape Wrath and uh, it takes various routes. Now, I believe you're sticking to the sort of the traditional route, as mentioned in in Ian's book on the the Cicero and Press book. What's What's the plan or the challenge, however you're approaching it, that you're doing as regards the camping, the wild camping, are you are you planning to make it as wild as possible continually? Because you do f- pass through a couple of flesh pots, as it were, or are you going to use campsites occasionally or bodies and that type of thing? Well, first of all, it's interesting that you mention about Ian and his book, because actually Ian is one of the people that I'm going to interview. So again, this is, goes back to the, to the crowdfund, the Kickstarter, uh, sorry, the Facebook funder, rather. Um, I want to view Ian because he's obviously the author of the book. Um, it just adds an extra layer. As far as your question is concerned, um, we're going to be using the Glenfinnan variant. So that means that we're, by more or less default, choosing the harder route rather than using the Great Glen Way, which I've done, and it's nice, but it is a nice, certainly a nicer lead-up to the challenges that lay ahead. Um, we're obviously going to be using Bothies, um, and we're already in discussions with the MBA to see how we can somehow partner with the MBA and 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 encourage the correct use and, and nurture and respect that boffies deserve. Um, so that's going to be a part of the story of the film, that the boffy code, so to say. Um, and we will be wild camping. We will be wild camping. I actually prefer to wild camp, so I actually won't be staying in boffies. I'll be camping a little bit away, but I, I like camping. I like being in a tent with the rain pounding against the fly sheet um some of the other people uh will be using the bothies but but i'm going to be breathing it outside and something that i have and this is quite a strange thing that people probably think i'm quite weird but um whatever trail i'm on whether it's for personal pleasure or or as a filming project i try not to go into towns um I will not go into shops and I will not go into cafes and hotels. When I'm on expedition, I'm on expedition. Um, and I have that hat on. I'm wearing my expedition hat. If I know that there's a cafe or a pub with a nice warm fire and a beer there, the moment I would step off the trail, go into that dwelling, it's game over psychologically. Um, I need to to stay in that outdoor zone. Now, with the Cape Breath Trail, that means three weeks. So that's fine by me. Um, I've spent months on expedition uh, as a filmmaker. The longest stint I ever had was six months on expedition. So for me to to stay in that zone is very, very important. So by default, and I've passed this wish on to the contributors, we're going to avoid as much as possible any settlement that the cape the sorry the trail may come across and keep it as pure as possible the only thing that i can see is a question mark over the practicalities of that is obviously you'll be taking a certain amount of technical equipment with you which will need charging batteries etc and they're notorious for, for not charging off a off a usb uh, power block and also you have got uh, is it seven people in total six people in total? seven people in total so you've got seven people in total and three weeks worth of food is a vast amount of volume, let alone weight. 
Are you sending anything ahead and how are you looking after the technical side without breaking your own rules? Yeah, so to answer your question um, about batteries, um, when I learned my craft as a filmmaker, <laughs> um, I learned on film. So I actually learned to shoot on on, on 16mm, Super 16. Um, so that means my shooting ratio is very, very low. That means I don't waste camera time. I know what I've got. I know that it's okay. And I know that I'll pretty much use it. So that means I don't need to have tons of batteries with me. Um, I'm treating my, my, my SD card as film stock in a way. Uh, so that helps me. So I know that I don't need to film 10 sunrises and 10 sunsets and 10 river crossings. Um, so that means that I, I won't need to charge per se during the route. What, you reckon you get three weeks worth of charge out of whatever you take with you? Yeah. Yeah. By, by, by limiting the amount, by knowing. One of my earliest mentors, who is an old BBC cameraman, said, use your mental TV. And so when I shoot... Um, my shooting ratio is exceptionally low because I know that I'm getting the correct sound bites from people and I know that I'm getting the right kind of coverage to edit a sequence together. So therefore, my camera doesn't need to be churning all the time. And and obviously now cameras are very, very small. I'm probably going to go down a Sony A7 uh, Mark III route. You know, um, although they do drink a lot of power, um, the camera doesn't need to be on so much. So I'm not going to be taking an a super amount of batteries and I know that I'll come up with enough footage yeah I was thinking purely if nothing else March time in Cape Wrath it ain't going to be warm no. um, it's looking after your batteries and making sure they don't disappear on you just down to the weather I guess yeah I mean it's something I've probably worked about two years of my life in the polar environment actually that's probably my most specialist of zone so keeping batteries warm is probably sort of or not yeah, it's something nature. yeah it is yeah yeah, and so the other question with them was relating to the food. What what yes. are you doing with that? So, um, well, very luckily, uh, one of our team members, in fact, the only guy on the expedition, chap by, by the name of Brad, um, he's going to organise uh, food parcels, um, and he's going to post, uh, I think, four or five of these group parcels to various pickup points. You're absolutely right. There's no way that you could carry three weeks of food rations on you. It would, the, the weight would just be ridiculous. You'd never you'd never complete the trail. So we will be popping in to pick up these food parcels. We're sending them uh, to a post office. We're sending them to a shop. Um, so obviously, you know, someone's going to have to go in and pick these parcels up. But, you know, that that's not a problem. But what I don't want to do is then go into the hotel where we've where we sent them and then sit by the fireplace for two hours having dinner and drinking beer. Because then for me, psychologically, you know, the the trail is over. And have you shared this ethos with the participants and have they all willingly signed up for it? Amazingly, yes. I mean, you know, um, everyone has agreed pretty much that's how we're going to do it. I mean, obviously, you know, <laughs> this isn't a dictatorship. <laughs> um, I, um, although I may have initiated the idea, I'm not the leader. It's, it's not, you know, no one per se is the leader. Um, we're just doing it as a collective agreement about what the the parameters of the trip will involve and everyone seems up for that now of course if people want to go and have a hot shower somewhere or whatever they want to go and find a comfortable bed you know they want to do whatever that's up to them i mean there's no rules for them but it's just the way that i work um 
I, I, I need, you know, for example, um, in two weeks' time, um, I'm off to do the West Highland Way again in winter. I love it. I do it by myself. And I carry seven days of food. Now, I know that I can resupply on the West Highland Way, even in winter. No problem. But silly old me, I don't want to do that. I want to stay out of the zone for the whole time and not go into supermarkets and start buying my food. It's just something that I've developed over the years. Not quite sure it's come from. I think it's my survival tactic that staying in the zone helps me through each day. I know you've had a lot of positive support within the Cape Wrath community on the Facebook page, but also now you've got sponsors on board as well. What's their take on what you're doing? Very good question. I think from the very off, I wanted to work with British brands that were family run, either by ethos or design. So I didn't want to approach companies that were part of a conglomerate. Um, I wanted to work with individual people. And so I chose a group of brands that I knew or knew of through my connections of working out in the outdoor industry and basically approached them. Now, some of the brands I knew wouldn't be able to put funds towards the product, but it's more equipment or clothing. Um, and so we are getting clothing support uh, through Paramo, and we are getting uh, tent uh, support through Terranova Equipment. Um, but we're also working with a couple of brands that are, are putting some cash into the project. And the reason why I need cash uh, is actually because of the editing process. I am not an editor. Um, I will need to pay for, basically, someone to edit this film. And generally, because I'm looking at doing a 90-minute documentary and I'm shooting to basically what we call Netflix requirements, um, that's going to take about 10 to 12 weeks by the time we do the edit, the sound design, and the colour grade, and all the bits and bobs. So I need a bit of budget to pay for that person. And that's where the brands have come on board. So we're currently engaging Cicerone Press, who obviously make the guidebook uh, written by Ian Harper. Um, and we're also talking to Nick Wax as well, and also Ellis Brigham. Uh, again, all of the brands have a connection of A being British run, but also, more importantly, uh, having a connection as family brands uh, again, either by ethos or by design. So so that's very important to me, who I choose to work with and why. One of the sponsors that's come on board, and it's really kind of taken me by surprise, it's such a nice thing that they've done, is a company called Basecamp Food, and they're actually an online ordering platform. But um, they're going to be supplying us with basically uh, 20 days, uh, breakfast uh, and dinner for seven people, uh, dehydrated food now that's really really great because they're not the manufacturer they're a distributor and they're having to pay for this uh, themselves and then basically give it to us um, and i think that just basically summarizes a lot of the goodwill a lot of the nice generosity that we're experiencing whilst we make this project that people do want to get behind it whether it be through the crowdfunder or whether it be through through some family brands and or just the general well-wishing that we're getting throughout the project so that's been the positive. I understand you've also had a little bit of negative uh, social media, I guess, to, to deal with. What's that all about? 
Yeah, of course. What once you put yourself out there, you've got to live and die by the sword. If you want social media to provide and help your film, you also then have to accept that you might have a sting in the tail. And the sting in the tail is that you will always get people uh, that will have something to say, give it an axe to grind or whatever. And one of the criticisms that I've had, which is quite funny, I think, is that I'm somehow exposing the Cape Wrath Trail as if it's some kind of secret that no one else is privy to. Um, and that by by me making a film about it, it will turn into a West Highland way. I will It will end up being a commercial route. Well, I disagree. The Cape Wrath Trail um, is its own vetta. It isn't for the faint-hearted. It isn't for the experience, in, inexperienced. Sorry. It's three weeks of proper mountain navigation, trekking, river crossing, box. It will weed out those that wouldn't take part in something like this. So I don't worry that my film will suddenly commercialise the Cape Wrath Trail. Um, in the same way that you could say to Cicerone Press, you know, no longer publish your book. And you could say to the Cape Wrath Trail group, remove your Facebook page because you're encouraging people. The wilderness is there for everybody to enjoy if you understand how to respect it and nurture it and follow simple mountain practices like leaving no trace behind you. And provided you adhere to that, I don't see what the problem is. So to conclude then, you're doing it in March. Then you've got a five, six week plus editing schedule. Uh, I presume then at the same time you'll then be looking for release or some sort of output for it. Two things really. First of all, the natural question being when do you think people will be able to see the final film in whatever format it takes, whether it's Netflix or, or on demand or whatever. And secondly, will you be releasing any sort of social media taster clips or anything as you go through the process just to, to keep people informed and get the get a feel for the vibe of the actual final product? Yeah, so we're aiming to have the release in the summer. Um, however, uh, three or four days after I complete the Cape Wrath Trail, I'm off to Namibia uh, to make a film about a uh, runner who is running through the Namib Desert with Parkinson's disease, um, 250 kilometers. So obviously I'm not entirely sure of my own schedule, but I'm hoping to have the film out there in the summer. That's That would be my goal. And like we said, I'm going to try via my my sales agent, my distributor, to get it on you know the channels, uh, both terrestrial and 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 the new kids on the block. But you know, even if it's just shown at film festivals, I'll be happy. But even even if it was just a very good film on YouTube, I'd also be very happy. I just want people to be inspired and be able to enjoy it and 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 take something from it. So that that that's my primary driver, my primary goal. From the very off, I've been using Facebook as a way to communicate the project and also fundraise. And of course, it would be uh, daft uh, not to be posting clips um, as we go. Um, there's currently a few clips who are on the page already shot simply on iPhone. But um, as we progress, I'm going to be releasing clips actually from the film. Um, and there no doubt will be what we call uh, a, tr a teaser, a uh, trailer. Um, 
of kind of like two three minute kind of like this is coming soon kind of thing uh, that will be appearing probably in late spring give or take the cape wrath trail is certainly no walk in the park even more so with winter rapidly approaching and all the additional challenges covid is of course adding it is remote it's raw and it does require attention at all times. If things go wrong up there, you are most certainly on your own. To be honest, I'm not sure now who is actually making up the full team with Kevin, as several people have dropped out for obvious reasons and subsequently been replaced. You can read more about the preparations and see various video clips of some of the people who have joined the group and some of the sponsors on the Facebook page to The Cape Wrath. Kevin and the team will now be out of contact probably up until the end of October if it all goes to plan. But of course, supportive comments and tweets at the same time will I'm sure be gratefully received whenever he picks up a signal. Just finally to conclude, I think this second period of semi-lockdown has brought home to me just how much we will all have to think very carefully from now on about how we spend our time, who we spend it with, and where we go from here. So with that in mind, please keep in touch with The Outdoors Station and join my newsletter, which you can see over on theoutdoorsstation.co.uk, and I'll keep you in touch with forthcoming news about, obviously, the studio hopefully being switched on, and we will then be able to keep you up to date with all that's happening in the outdoors world and keep sharing the outdoors love so until next time folks do take care of yourself and your loved ones and enjoy the space while you can until next time bye for now thank you for listening to this podcast to hear or see more from our extensive free library please visit theoutdoorsstation.co.uk